God is good. Isn't it wonderful to be alive? And isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? I know I'm not going to have time to finish this message today, but my little old sermons are like bologna. You just cut off a piece here or there and slap you some bread on it and make a sandwich out of it. But it's really been in my heart. First Kings chapter number 18. And in a few moments, I'm going to read a couple of verses, but keep your Bible open because it's time and the Holy Spirit gives me liberty and unction. I want to go through these. But I want to begin preaching today and probably the next Sunday or two on the road and the results of real revival. The road to and the results of real revival. Now you say, what does the word revival mean? It means to revive something that used to be powerful. To revive something that used to be alive. Now something that is dead doesn't need revival. It needs resurrecting. Got a friend of mine one time said he took this church and he said, I thought we needed a revival. He said, but come to find out we didn't need a revival. We needed a resurrection. We was beyond reviving. But I do believe that our churches as a whole need revival. It bothers me that the enemy has gained so much ground in the day of the church. I mean, I, I thought the world would get this wicked, this diabolical, this crazy. Uh, Brother Bill, after the removal of the church, when the church is no longer here, I thought it would be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and the days of Lot. But it really bothers me that our nation has gone so far from God and the churches are still here. The lights are still on and the doors are still open. The lights are still on. Man, that tells me something. We, the church needs a revival. The religious scene as a whole in America needs revival. Every church in America don't have singing like this. They don't have preaching. They don't have what we have here. It's amazing what some people call church. There are some people today that gathered together and read one verse of Scripture and played bingo and had aerobics, and they call that church. I'm not against bingo. I want to win if I play. And I'm not against aerobics. As fat as I am, I need to lose some weight. And all of God's fat people said amen right there. My brother playing bingo, having aerobics, and reading a verse of two. Man, that's not church. We need revival in the church. I believe we'd all agree that we need revival in America. I didn't think I'd ever see a day when we'd be so confused about things that are just common sense. But you know, the Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you, there's a vast difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is what you learn from studying facts. Wisdom is how to live your life according to the knowledge that you received. Let me give you an illustration. Knowledge is that in that wall socket, uh, there is a 110 current flowing through that. And if you plug a lamp in and turn it on, the light bulb's going to come on, you're going to have some light. That, that, that's knowledge. Wisdom is not taking a hairpin or a key and sticking it in there. You do that once, you'll have wisdom. And there's a lot of people in our world today, they have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. We know how to go to the moon and back. 
By the way, for you people that don't believe that, I really believe they went to the moon and back. My great-grandfather did not believe that. What was so funny, he believed wrestling was real, but he didn't believe nobody went to the moon. And we, we got people today that can do open-heart surgeries. We got people today that can do all kind of wonders, but yet they throw their life away. They don't have wisdom. I believe we need revival in the church. I believe we need revival in our nation. And I believe we need revivals in our homes. I believe we'd all be appalled today at the dysfunctionality that's in a lot of families and a lot of homes. It's even in our churches. But I believe so goes the home, so goes the church, and so goes the church, so goes the nation, so does the nation, so goes the world. And I believe one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of a revival or the divine manifestation of the presence of God is in 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah, God's man, calls down the fire. And there's two things that happened on Mount Carmel. I've been to this place. And there are two things that happened when the power came and God manifested himself on Mount Carmel. Two things happened. God was glorified and the enemy was defeated. I believe the only way to stem or turn back the tide of evil in our society is for real revival to take place. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when real revival comes, it makes a difference. It leaves its mark for years and years to come. And I believe God needs to be glorified in our day. You'll be surprised at the people that don't even believe in God. And then a lot of people that say they believe in God have a real small conception of who He is. But can I tell you, if your conception of God is nothing more than the old man upstairs, you need revival. In fact, if that's the best you can say about God, the old man upstairs, don't say nothing because you're close to cursing, you're close to blasphemy. He is not the old man upstairs. He is the almighty God. The sovereign God of heaven and earth. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son. And I'm glad one day I heard his word and I believed on him. And he saved my soul. For a text this morning, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 36. The Bible said, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. As I read that text early this morning, I read it like this, that God, that America may know that you are God in America. I know our dollar bill says, in God we trust. But the average American today is not trusting in God that's on the dollar. He is trusting the dollar. But I believe all of us are going to live to see that there's some things money cannot buy. There are some things politics cannot accomplish. We need God in this hour. 
He said, O Lord, that all of Israel, that all the world may know that thou art God, that this day there art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Now watch this simple prayer. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back Again, I love verse number 38, then. And I want to add then and only then. Then, say it with me, then the fire of the preacher fell. Hmm. Then the fire of the Baptist church fell. Then the fire of the Pentecostal or the Methodist fell. Then the fire of the Democrats or the Republican fail. Then the power of the fire of the money fail. The, the fire of pleasure fail. The, the power of the fire of dead religion fail. No, let's read it right. Then the fire of the Lord. You notice how that's capitalized in your Bible. All the letters are capitalized in your Bible. That refers to God's holy divine Sovereign, sacred name, Jehovah. The supreme, the only, there's no comparison. Nobody like him. The sovereign God, the holy God, the omnipotent God. I didn't say a sovereign God, a holy God, a omnipotent. I said the holy God, the sovereign God. The omnipotent God, Jehovah, the God of all gods. Ain't nobody like him. Lord have mercy. And Larry Brown's spell is about to break out on me. Ain't nobody like him. Never has been and never will be. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. By the way, when God sweeps through, he cleans it all out. In verse 39, and when all the people saw it, what did they see? They saw a divine manifestation of God. When they saw it, he didn't say when they saw Elijah. He didn't say when they saw the sons of the prophets. He didn't say when they saw the singers or the ministers. When they saw it, when they saw the fire from God fall, when they saw that, the Bible said, and when they saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is Elohim. He is God. That word there is the creating one, the one that was before, the one that stepped out upon nothing and said everything. The Lord, Jehovah, amen, he is Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They said it again, the Lord, he is God. Nobody said, man, look at Elijah, what a wonderful preacher he is. Nobody said, man, look at that guy by the name of Elijah. Look at that little rabbit he pulled out of the hat. No, when they walked away from that scene that day, they knew that was a God thing. God had done something in their midst. And I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I've seen what the church can do. 
I've seen what the preacher can do. I've seen what religious organization can do, and I'm not knocking it. We need it. But in my heart, I'd love to see one more time before Christ comes to rapture the church. Wouldn't you love to see one more time a divine, heaven-renting, devil-chasing, sin-killing, soul-saving, church-reviving, shouting, singing, soul-winning, amen, revival. That does more than stir us for a moment, but changes us for life and eternity. You see, when you come to the Bible, the fire of the Lord represents four truths. Number one, there are places in the Bible where the fire of the Lord represents judgment. You remember when the fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah and burnt them to nothing but ashes? It was the judgment of God. In fact, if you reject Christ this morning and, and die lost, you'll go to a place called hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched because fire represents the judgment of God in places. And then there are places in the Bible where fire represents purity. It represents cleansing. We've talked about the fiery trial of our faith. We've talked about the refiner's fire. That when God gets through putting you and I through the fiery trials, we're better Christians and not worse Christians. Then there are places in the Bible where fire is a picture, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I know we're Baptists, but we're not ashamed of this. That on the day of Pentecost, in that little upper room, when the Holy Ghost came, there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire. In fact, John the baptizer came. And he said, I'm not the one that's going to do it, but there's one coming behind me. He's greater than I am. He was before me. And if you think it's something, when I baptized you with water, there's one coming behind me that's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. And I want to say thank God for the Holy Ghost fire. And I want to tell you to turn any life around, any church around, any pulpit around, any ministry around. Somebody get God on the scene and quit operating in the energy of the flesh. And let's see what the Holy Spirit of God can do through you and I. And that's punishment, sometimes the fire. Sometimes it's purity. Sometimes it's a cleansing. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes in the Bible, fire just represents the manifested presence of God. You remember when the children of Israel had that tabernacle in the wilderness. And that was a pillar of fire in the day that led them. That was God telling them, I am with you. I am before you. I will guide you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as I began to dive into this text in the early morning hours, I saw something. All four of these truths are represented in this text. In fact, all four of these truths are connected to real revival. Number one, if fire is punishment, that means it's dealing with that which is wrong and we've got to get it right. I don't believe there's true revival to there is a repentance of what we're doing wrong. You can't help somebody that won't admit they're wrong. You can't help somebody that won't admit they need help. And ladies and gentlemen, we can put our heads in the sand and act religious. 
But when you and I get real before God and say, Lord, we've been wrong. We've not been right. And we ask you to help us and cleanse us and forgive us. I believe you can't have real revival without real repentance. And I believe this morning it will take a fool to deny the fact that we need God more than the breath that we breathe. You take fire, if that's a picture of purity, if it's a picture of cleansing, if it's a picture of refining us, God refined the nation of Israel in this text. When the fire fell, they came from an ungodly nation to a holy nation. They came from a rebellious nation to an obedient nation. And when the fire of God falls upon us, it leaves us different than we were when it fell upon us. If fire represents the Holy Spirit, here it is in this text. There's no real revival until the person and the power of the Holy Spirit are recognized and received. By the way, let me tell you something. You don't have to be afraid of any terms or any words you read in the Bible. And I'm a Baptist from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. And I appreciate my heritage. But I'm telling you, I do not worship the Baptist church. God got a hold of me before the Baptist got a hold of me. And I believe a lot of Baptists have ignored the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit because they don't want to get too far out. Most Baptists I know don't have to worry about getting too far out on the limb because a lot of them ain't never even climbed a tree. You say, how important is the Holy Spirit? Well, if I've read my Bible right, and I know I have, you say, that's pride. Well, I have read it, have you? And I do know this, the power of the Holy Spirit is this important. According to John chapter number 6, you can't even be saved without the working of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is what draws us to Christ. Can I remind you this morning, there's nothing about man and his natural ability that's going to admit. I'm a dirty, low-down, rotten sinner headed for hell. But you let the Holy Spirit convict him. You let the Holy Spirit draw him. You let the Holy Spirit dangle him over the fires of hell. And it won't be long that he'll cry out and say, Oh God, what must I do to be saved? Did you know it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates? It's the Holy Spirit that seals us under the day of redemption. It's the Holy Spirit that Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so important that Romans chapter number 8 plainly, emphatically says, He that hath not the Spirit is none of His. If the Holy Spirit doesn't live in your heart, you are illegitimate. You don't know the Lord. And one of the greatest evidences that you know the Lord, according to 1 John, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. When I first got married, I, you, 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 you know you think a man that had a, a, a woman for a mother and three sisters that were girls. You would think a man, listen Shane, you would think a man whose whole world was ruled by women would have a little understanding. But like most men, dumber than a box of rocks. And all of God's women said, hallelujah, right there. I had no idea. 
I had no idea how long it took them to get ready. I had no idea they didn't know how to tell time. I had no idea that they don't think like we do. I had no idea. Miss Arthur and I hadn't been married too long, and one Sunday morning, we got into it. And from that day forward, 38, almost 39 years later, I fixed that problem. We ride in separate vehicles. And if you're smart, you'll do the same thing. And we got into it one Sunday morning and I said, hey, I said, bless God, you're not saved. I don't recommend you young couples do that. She fired, you ain't no preacher. Roland, a man with no wife at all shouldn't be laughing like that. And she said, you ain't no preacher. I said, you ain't saved. She said, I am too saved. I said, when did you get saved? She said, when I was nine. I said, I don't believe that. I said, who told you you were saved? She said, the Holy Spirit. I said, you saved. <laughs> That's how important the Holy Spirit is. You can't be saved apart from the working of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings us to the end of ourself. And no real revival has ever come without the acknowledgement and the reception of the Holy Spirit. Notice what the prophet said. It's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Let me tell you how important the Holy Spirit is. All you've got to do is read the first chapter, the first book of your Bible, the first chapter in the first book of your Bible. And God's sovereign revelation is only three verses deep. The third verse in the first chapter in the first book introduces us to the Spirit of God. It said the earth was out form and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord. That word move means to, to hover, to quiver, to brood, to breed. And the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, the Bible's only three verses old, and immediately he says, I'm telling you, it's not by power, and it's not by might, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Very few of you will remember this, because most people that re would remember this are either old as dirt, or they're already in heaven. But about 34 years ago, I stood up on a Sunday, and I said, I'm resigning as your pastor. Three people shouted, that's the first time Earl Watley had woke up in all these many years. I said, I'm resigning the church today. I said, from this day forward, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost pastors this church, and I'm just going to tag along. I've tried it myself for four years. I'm getting nowhere. In fact, the harder I try to go forward, I take about 12 steps backwards, and I sit in a ditch in Knoxville, Tennessee, on the side of Interstate 75, off down in a gutter, 
God revealed unto me. It's not me. It's not the preacher. It's not the deacons. It's not the Sunday school. Thank God for the Sunday school. Thank God for the deacons. Thank God for the choir. Thank God for the preacher. But I'm telling you, if God does a sovereign supernatural work that'll change people's lives and impact our town for God, it won't be a man thing. It won't be a promotional thing. It'll be a sovereign act of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say to you this morning, if you don't recognize the Holy Spirit and believe in the Holy Spirit and don't want the Holy Spirit, send it down my way. I'm like the prophet of old. I want a double portion of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if fire represents punishment, if it represents cleansing, if it represents the Holy Spirit, if it represents the manifested presence of God, all of those are in this text. And they're all are associated with revival. That's just my introduction. Now think about it. The road and the results of revival. Let me give you two of them and our time's already gone. Number one, the road to revival. If real revival ever takes place, notice what happened in this text. A stand was taken. A stand was taken. Back up in verse 17 and 18. Ahab, the wicked king, wanted an interview with Elijah. So he brought Elijah before him. And watch this now. That'd be like Biden or Bush or Trump or somebody inviting me to the White House to ask me what I think. They don't want to know what I think. And I don't care what they think as well. Can I get a witness? But Elijah was summoned to the king. And Ahab, now listen to this, pointed his wicked, idolatrous, ungodly, perverted sexual finger in his face and said, are you the one that's troubling Israel? He called the best man Israel's God. He called the holy man of God. And he says, you're what's wrong with our nation. Brother, we're about to see an onslaught of Christianity like we've never seen in a long time in this country. I read the news the other day where that was a school system somewhere up north. And one of the superintendents said, he sent out a memo to all the principals and all those that hire. Don't hire anybody to teach in our school system that has Christian principles. We don't want to poison the minds of our children. Do what? Poison the minds of our children? You mean because I preach that God made a man and God made a woman, that's poison? No, that's just truth. Because I preach that life began in conception and life is in the hand of God, that's poison? No, that's truth. Just because I preach, you've got to know Jesus Christ if you want to go to heaven. That's not poison, that's truth. But he called Elijah in and said, you're the problem. Are you he that's troubling Israel? And I love verse number 18. There's preachers in this town and in this nation that would have never replied to the king like Elijah did. They'd have said, well, I'm sorry. 
Well, he didn't mean to be non-woke. We didn't really mean to offend nobody, so we'll, we'll go back and work on it. Not Elijah. Not when you're the prophet of fire. Oh, Elijah fired back and said, no, no, sir, I'm not he that troubled with Israel. Look up here, Mr. Ahab. You and what you've done, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And sir, we're about to have a showdown on top of Mount Carmel. Bring your idol gods, your material gods, your fake gods, your dead religious gods, and we're going to have us a contest. And can I tell you how it ended? Ahab lost and God won. Pastor, what are you saying? Listen to this. Before real revival comes to our churches and our families and our nation, listen now, somebody has got to take a stand and say, that's enough. That's enough. We're not going any farther. You know why we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave? You know why we've had this nation we've had? Because our forefathers said to the king of England, not once but not twice, said to the madman from Italy, Mussolini, and the madman from Germany, uh, Hitler, and the empire of the rising sun in Japan, they said, no, sir, we have had enough. We have had enough. Our nation was founded. They believe we worship God by the dictates of our heart, and we believe in freedom. We believe in the Bible. We believe in Christianity. We've gone far enough. We're not going any farther. We're drawing the line in the sand and we are going to take a stand. It's time that every preacher on planet earth reared back and said enough is enough. The Bible's true. God is divine. God is holy. And it's time that the local church quit sipping on our pacifiers and a nitpicking and a backbiting and rise to our feet and say we are the body of Christ we're the church of the firstborn we're on the winning side and we wave high the bloodstained banner and God is our father Jesus is our savior and the Holy Spirit is our comforter ladies and gentlemen somebody's got to take a stand and draw the line in the sand. And that doesn't mean that you get mean, proud, arrogant. It don't mean that at all. But it means you say, I shall not be moved. And I'm going to hold on my Bible. And I'm going to pray to my God. And I'm going to live like God wants me to live. Somebody has got to take a stand. Elijah prayed the fire down, but before the fire ever, listen to this line, but before the fire ever came down, Elijah stood up. Here's what we want. We want the fire to come down while we lay down. But God has never sent revival to a generation of Christians that laid down, rolled over, and played dead. You say, well, why do you seem to be so concerned about it? Five main reasons. And those five main reasons are five granddaughters. 
I love old people because I'm one. But there is one statement that old people are bad to say that I wish we and they would not say. But it don't matter to me what to do, bless God. I'm going to be out of here in a year or two. Do you realize how stupid? I'm sorry. That's the only word I can put on it. Do you realize how foolish that statement is? Well, I don't care what to do, bless God. Let them hold on. I'm going to be gone a few more years. Yep, you're going to be gone. And I'm going to be gone in a few more years. But if you got children, and if they got children, they're not going to be gone. They're going to have to live in the world that we gave up. You hear what I said? They're going to live in a world that we gave up. That we just threw up our hands and handed to the devil and didn't even, man, fight for it. You say, Brother Joe, don't be militant. I'm not being militant, but I'm going to tell you there's some things worth scrapping over. And brother, to keep the bloodstained banner flying and the Bible preaching and the church doors open and the lights on and the altar hot, somebody needs to take a stand and not for our sake, for the next generation. Let me ask you this this morning. How many can say that the church, the singing, the preaching, the fellowship, the church as a whole has been a blessing to you? Whether it's this church or another church, but your life has been blessed by the church. Did you know there are three Baptist churches within 20 minutes of this spot that have gone out of business this year already? Not far from here are a couple of Methodist churches. That never recovered from COVID. I saw a man today. He said, how many did y'all have last Sunday? I said, well, if you count the main auditorium and the children's church and the Spanish church, we over 600. We had about 400 of our folks there. He said, that's unbelievable. I said, man, this is a little church. I said, I got friends of mine. They'll have 2,000 a day, 1,500 a day. He said, man, you know how many we're going to have? We're going to have eight. And he said, all of us eight are 80 and above. And that old man began to cry. He said, in a year or two, our church is going to look like the tabernacle in Atlanta. And let me fill you young people in on something. That building downtown Atlanta called the tabernacle where they have rock concerts and country concerts. You know what that used to be in the early 1900s, in the late 1800s? The largest Baptist church in the South. How many has ever heard of the Georgia Baptist Hospital? You know where it began? It began in the basement of that church in downtown Atlanta. 
The pastor was a medical doctor that got saved in medical school and God called him to preach Dr. Linton. You ought to read about it. And he began to preach the gospel and began to minister to the sick in the basement of that little church building. And out of that came the Georgia Baptist Hospital. R.A. Torrey preached in that building. Mordecai Ham preached in that building. And by God, last night, they had country music and rock and roll concerts in a place where the Word of God used to be preached. Dear God Almighty, can you imagine this beautiful auditorium one day and the preacher's gone and the choir's gone and the holiness is gone and all of you got is a concert hall. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it ain't time to go out of business. It ain't time to close the doors. It's not time to retreat. But let's take a stand. Get God on the scene and let's see what God can do in this house. How many will agree that church, some church, if not this one, there's some church somewhere that's been a blessing to you and your family. Can I ask you this this morning? Don't you think that's worth preserving for the next generation? Time is gone this morning, but I want to emphasize that again. The road to revival, somebody had to say, that's enough. I'm no longer satisfied with the status quo. That's enough. You've damaged my kid's mind. You're trying to tear my home apart. You're trying to rip our heritage from us. I've had enough. And Elijah didn't get him a military. He didn't get him a militia. No, 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 no. And he didn't protest. He went to God and said, God, I need for you to do what nobody else can do. And the fire of the Lord came down. Wouldn't it be wonderful if later on in life somebody would write? You know, in our in school we were taught BC, such and such BC before Christ, then AD and O Domino in the year of our Lord. I got a whole new twist on that. When it comes to America, B.C., before COVID. A.D., after the Democrats. Just put that in your pipe and smoke. But wouldn't it be wonderful one day if somebody was writing and they said this, our nation was about gone. They were trying to mutilate the bodies and the minds of our children. And America was just about financially gone. But at 1974, on Walt Stevens Road in sleepy little Jonesbury, Georgia, some people took a stand and they got a hold of God. And the fire fell. And these many years later, churches are still having church and sinners are still being saved. While they're coming to the instruments, Beth, you and Thursday night at the Jubilee. I've been in a lot of great meetings. But something happened Thursday night at the Jubilee in the Smokies. You say, oh, I bet it was them 3,000 people that showed up. Well, I appreciated that. But let me tell you what was better than 3,000 people. To come here, a bunch of rednecks singing and preach. Let me tell you what's better about that. I was walking around the altar. 
Ralph Sexton just got through preaching, son, in the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm down there watching the altars. And that was an altar about this long. And on into that altar, that was an 81-year-old man that trusted Christ and got saved. 81. I'm glad he got home for dark. But at the other end of this altar, a six-year-old girl got saved. And in the middle of that altar, a 19-year-old girl got saved. And I'm thinking, that's just like my Jesus. None too old, none too young, or nobody left out in the middle. And wouldn't it be wonderful if God would do that in Atlanta, Georgia? God is able. God is able. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would take a stand today and go get God and write it on the platform that on this Sunday morning some people got tired of the status quo and they got hungry and thirsty for God and they repented and they prayed and they called on the Lord and the fire fell and lives were changed forever. If not for our sake today, could we have revival for the sake of our children and our children's children? Our Father, we love you today. We give you praise.